Spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Super Light Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. They've designed must-have travel styles for when you need to jet. The lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit makes these shoes some of the most packable styles ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Take the Super Light Tree Runner on your next adventure. Its cushy, lightweight foam midsole supports every step, and the extra outsole traction gives you the grip to just go for it. The Eucalyptus Fiber Upper adds next-level breathability to keep you going all day. Plus, the Super Light Tree Runner is comfortable and ready to go right out of the box. So, what can you do in a Super Light shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. Proud to be brought to you in part by StarCityGames.com. Not only are they the home of the top content and coverage on the web, they're also the world's largest independent retailer for Magic the Gathering singles and supplies. For more information, visit StarCityGames.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Warney, and joining me on the line is Ethan Sachs. Ethan, what is going on in your world? I haven't had a chance to talk to you hardly at all this week. Ben, I quit my bartending job. I'm going hashtag full time these days. Hot dog. I did know that. Congratulations. That seems like it's been a million years ago. My life is flying by. <laughs> or not flying by if it feels like it was a million years ago because it was less than a week ago. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. That is super awesome. I am so happy for you. Congratulations from me. I'm sure from everyone listening to the podcast, you're living the dream. I am living the dream and it is because of this podcast. I mean, I, I have a lot of magic endeavors these days, but the podcast is certainly feels like the most consistent and successful and it's... uh enabling me to pursue this dream. So that's really, really cool. So thank you to everybody out there who supports the show, who listens to the show at all. I mean, all, all that stuff is like super helpful and is why I'm able to do this now. So I'm really, really appreciative. So that, that's my life. That's the big thing in my life. Uh, how about you? A lot of stuff going on. I just got done uh, going to the DCI finals last night. It's Drum Corps International. For those of you that don't know that, it's like as close as you get to professional marching band, except instead of making money, the people pay like couple thousand dollars to do it but they're really 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 good so cool to go see that and take a break from work and ready to hop into hopefully more drafting this week and some more teaching i thought you were just trolling by saying dci on a magic podcast and not meaning <laughs> everyone's like <laughs> id number thing <laughs> no. uh well i'm gonna guess that you haven't had much time to play the magics this week any updates to the trophy leaderboard for you there is an update to the trophy leaderboard. I don't always draft, but when I do draft, I make sure I get a trophy. So Jesus. I did one draft on MTGO. And now I'm 36 and 8 with 8 trophies and an 82% win rate. So bumped that up a little bit there. I thought we agreed you were retiring that last week. Look, I just wanted to extend it a little further. Unbelievable. That's incredible. Uh, just the one draft, though? Uh, I've done also a couple arena drafts. I'm now up to 10 arena drafts, 44 and 22 overall record four trophies and a 66 percent win rate so three drafts two on arena one on mtgo 
Nice. I have uh, not been doing the M20 this week. I, I did took a dip to Legacy Cube for the first half of the week and then Dominaria for the second half of the week because it's the flashback format on Magic Online. Um, but I also haven't been keeping track of it. So I'm, I'm a bum. I've got nothing to update to the trophy leaderboard here. I saw you were first to two trophies on the Dominaria leaderboard. I was, yeah. My first two drafts were trophies. It's all been downhill from there, though. Nice little welcome back to Papa. Yeah, it was nice. It was nice. Um, but those cues are just not firing. It's sort of tough. I don't know why they're doing it. Like, there's only 300 people in the league or something. Yikes. Some diehards. Some diehards, right. Yeah, it's just like a bunch of sickos. You see the same people in every draft. All right. Well, before we dive into the show, we have a little bit of business to take care of. We want to talk about our Patreon page, patreon.com slash Lords of Limited, where you can give back to the show if you so choose. The Patreon, everyone who joins gets access to the Lords of Limited Discord. We talk about it each and every week because it is the best place on the internet to talk about all things limited. People posting in all the different channels that we have there. We still have some revamping to do. We've had a lot of really good suggestions in uh, channel suggestions section of our Discord from new folks. Um, So we want to make sure we get those implementations in there pretty soon. And so I think the Discord's going to get revamped and and get improved there. This episode, spoiler alert, Ben, is really just brought to you by the Discord. We're, we're going to dive into a bunch of uh, information that I just like went through and mined from our Discord trophy section. So I'm excited to share that with everybody. So thank you to everybody who posts in the Discord and makes it as great as it is. And each and every week, we want to make sure we shout out our new patrons. And so this week, we're going to welcome to the fold David Moritz, Kevin, Two-Hearted, Alex, Peter, Harvey, Justin, Lorne, Sam, and Marcus. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We really appreciate your support. Yeah, I cannot say thank you enough. And I just want to reiterate that Discord is a great way to keep in touch with MTG if you're busy. And I've only done three drafts this week, which is not great. And I'm hoping to change that in the weeks coming forward as I get more settled into my new job. But I do feel like I'm very in tune with the format still because I read the Discord constantly anytime I have five minutes, you know, not enough time to do a draft, but enough time to get my magic fixed. So if you love magic, but you're busy, great way to stay in touch with the game. Yeah, we are also now sponsored by Coalesce Apparel and Design, Magic's newest apparel company. And as part of that, we have a gift code for you to get 10% off any order on their website. Um, Not just Lords of Limited Merchandise. And that code is LOL, all caps, LOL, all caps. Saw some posts on Twitter that people's Lords of Limited t-shirts that they've ordered are in the mail en route to delivery. So you got one of those orders in early, your t-shirt might be coming soon to you. Yeah, I got that email er earlier this week. That was very exciting. Ooh, that means mine must be on its way too. I just haven't checked my email. Yeah, uh, we're going to be sporting those in Vegas in just a couple weeks. And we want to remind everybody that we're going to be doing our first ever live recording of the podcast. It'll be the first time you and I are going to record the show together in the same room, Ben. Everyone's going to get to see my wild hand gestures that I make when we're doing our recordings that are now just my little secret, but they'll be out there in in the open. So we're going to be doing that uh, Friday, August 23rd during Magic Fest Vegas. That's going to be at 10 a.m. at the Las Vegas Marriott Hotel. That's just across the street from the convention center. Uh, We're going to do a little bit of a recording. We'll do a little live Q&A. I think we'll probably like video record it too, maybe put that thing up on YouTube. It's going to be very, very exciting. So make sure you come on down and check that out. Chemistry is going to be off the charts. Oh, palpable. So very palpable. And you make hand gestures? This is something I didn't know. Oh my God. I wildly flail my arms while we really? Yeah, I do a lot of like, I talk with my hands a lot. So I'm just hunched over leaning into the microphone the whole time. (laughs) Just like your arms are just like limp wet noodles by your side. Pretty much. And an ode to noodles and company buttery noodles. (laughs) 
Uh, yeah, well, that'll be quite the stark contrast when we record in Vegas. <laughs> All right. So today we're talking about the elephant in the room, drafting white in M20 and how to win with it. Um, so I think white sort of the consensus worst color in this format, consensus worst color in a lot of recent formats. Um, but people are still having success with it. And how are they doing that? And what do those drafts look like? What are those deck looks what do those decks look like? We're gonna be looking at all of that today. And I think the best way to start is with a round table. Yeah, I've got a draft I did here. And I'm wondering if you want to take a seat. I would love to. Since we're a little deeper in the format, we're going to forgo reading what every card does and just give you the card names and trust that you can follow along with us. So pack one, pick one. The following cards are in consideration. Raise the Alarm. Frost Links. Agonizing Siphon. Season of Growth. Pulse of Marasa. And Chandra Novice Pyromancer. So a lot of strong uncommons there. Yeah, I'm also going to shout out this rare here that I like, and I'm actually going to, as we just said, we're going to forego reading them. I, I will read what this card does because maybe not everyone's had a chance to play with or against it. This is Icon of Ancestry. Uh, it's a three mana artifact, enters the battlefield, you name it, creature type. Creatures of that type get plus one, plus one that you control, and you can pay three tap to look at the top three cards of your library and reveal a creature of that type from among them, put it into your hand and put the others on the bottom of your library in random order. Um, I mean, this is generally just for elementals in the format, um, though I've I have played it early on in the format. I played it in like black, white naming humans or whatever. Um, and it's pretty good. I mean, the fact that it is a, a mana sink and can recoup the like sort of quote unquote card disadvantage you get from an effect like this um, is pretty good. But I don't think I'd take it here given the power level of what we have in this pack. But I do think it's a good card. I agree. I should have shouted that out. So of these commons, I think my favorite is Agonizing Siphon. Now, where are you at on Black's top three commons? Is Agonizing Siphon in there for you? It is. It's number two for me, I think. Okay. It's number two for me as well. But I do think that it seems like, so Past Murder is number one. I think it's, is Audacious Thief number two or number three? And I do think some people have Audacious Thief ahead of Agonizing Siphon these days. Yeah, I agree. What, you agree? No, I agree that people have that. And oh, I think okay. it's close. I think you could make a case for either. Yeah, they're, they're, they're very close, but I do like Agonizing Siphon. You know, first half of, what was it, Smiting Helix? Still a pretty good card from uh, Modern Horizons. Anyway, so I think that'd be my pick here among the commons, but we've got Chandra Navas Pyromancer, which I think is the consensus best uncommon in the set. Yeah, pretty clear first pick, and that is what I windmill slammed. Moving on to pack one, pick two, you see the following cards as options. There's another Raise the Alarm. There's a Rabid Bite, Cloudkin Seer and ancestral blade and then your rare is shared summons that's three green green for the instant lets you tutor up two creatures and put them into your hand who i do love me a shared summons but it, i guess it would just depend probably like this deep in the format i'd take shared summons over cloud Kinsir, but cloud Kinsir feels like the you know if you're drafting at the mythic championship that's what you should be taking yeah cloud Kinsir, i think far and away the best card in the pack although it's close maybe with ancestral blade on Power level, that's probably not no. even true. Yeah. Probably not even true. But Ancestral Blade has been very good and impressive, I think. Mm -hmm. So also, so I did take Cloudkin Seer here and started off with a Chandra and a Cloudkin Seer. Moving on to pack one, pick three. See the following cards as options. There's a Pack Mastiff if you want to stay red as the only red card in the pack. In white, there's a Pacifism and a Fencing Ace. And best blue card in the pack is Frost Links. Yeah, so you've got Chandra, which you really want to play. You've got Cloudkins here, which is great. There's like little elemental synergy there between the two blue and red cards. So I think I'd try and keep that train rolling with the Frost Links here. Yeah, I agree with that pick. I actually ended up picking Pacifism here. This was medium early in the format. 
And I think now I would take Frostlinks over Pacifism, specifically if I already had a Cloudkin Seer, you know, that would give definitely give the nod to Frostlinks. Pack one, pick one, I probably still want to be blue enough more than white that even though Pacifism is a better card, I would be on Frostlinks. But I do think here Frostlinks is just the correct pick. So unfortunately, I landed on Pacifism, but I think Frostlinks is what I would do in hindsight now. Or fortunately for you, as a as the draft may go, a little foreshadowing for you. Moving on to pack one, pick four, you see the following cards as options. There's a winged words, netcaster spider, and meteor golem. Ooh. So I'd be pretty excited about winged words there going uh, blue card, blue card with uh, cloud Seer and frost links. Meteor golem's really attractive though. I mean, it's colorless. I'm not afraid of casting seven drops in this format. And meteor golem has just never been better than it is now. So I, I think just on pure raw power level, and it's still early enough in the draft that I value the flexibility of it as a colorless card. Um, so I think I'd grab that here. Yeah, I agree. Power level is too high to pass up. We don't necessarily know what colors we're going to be yet. We've got a red card, a blue card, and I have a white card so far. You've got two blue cards. So meteor golem definitely going to make your deck and definitely going to give you some wiggle room down the rest of the draft. So I think mm-hmm. pretty clear pick there. Moving on to pack one, pick five, see the following cards as options. At common, there's winged words and silverback shaman. And at uncommon, there's a renowned weaponsmith and a rare and an uncommon missing. So a couple commons have been taken so far already out of this pack. I can't believe I'm going to say it. And this is a very recent addition to my roster of cards that I'm excited to take. But I would be really thrilled to grab a renowned weaponsmith here. Yeah, I think this card has consistently overperformed and I think is probably the most improved reprint ever in the history of MTG because <laughs> it was not very good at all in its original format and is very good here. Yeah. And I think even on MTGO, Harpier's Bow is not quite as important in the metagame on MTGO as it is on Arena. But I think once you get renowned Weaponsmith, you're happy to start jamming Harpier's Bows in your deck even on MTGO. Yeah, thrilled. And, <clears throat> and it's a really good follow-up to... Meteor Golem. Like, I feel like people often overlook the tap to add two colorless mana to like cast artifacts or activate abilities of artifacts. It's a very real thing to be able to power out Meteor Golem on turn five if you want. Yeah, definitely super real. I would, again, in hindsight, take Renowned Weaponsmith now. At the time, I took Winged Words, probably because I didn't have a super high opinion of Renowned Weaponsmith yet. But mm-hmm. my opinion has definitely gone up, so I agree Renowned Weaponsmith would be the pick there. But I took Winged Words. It's still really not going to change the direction of the draft, though. No. Because we're, we're settling into blue, as it as it seems here. Mm-hmm. So just a quick recap. So far, we've got Chandra, Cloudkin Seer, Pacifism, Meteor Golem, and Winged Words. Moving on to pack one, pick six. See the following cards as options. There's a Vial of Dragonfire. Soul Salvage is the best black card in the pack. Metropolis Sprite is the only blue card in the pack. And that's really about it. Yeah, I think, I mean, I guess, you know, Soul Salvage, depending on what your deck looks like, might be more powerful. But Metropolis Sprite is, I think, just the best card in this pack here. It's really strong, rock solid, two drop, evasive, etc. Good in blue, white skies, just good on its own. I would grab that here. Right. That's what I also grabbed and was especially exciting for me after having picked the Winged Words over Renowned Weaponsmith Mm -hmm. to get a nice cheap flyer to curve into Winged Words. Moving on to pack one, pick seven, you see the following cards as options. There's a Heart Piercer Bow. Probably you would have been nabbing that here, maybe. Oh, yeah. With the Renowned Weaponsmith. Uh, As it were, best card in the pack for me is Ancestral Blade. One and a white for the equipment. When it ETBs, you make a 1-1 white soldier token and then put Ancestral Blade on it. And equipped creature gets plus one, plus one for one. 
And that card is way too late. Should not still be in this pack. Exactly. Yeah, that seems like a huge signal. Makes you feel really good about taking that pacifism third. Like I would, I would take the heart piercer bow with having grabbed the weaponsmith, but recognizing that blade is just going way too late here. Right. And probably maybe a signal for white down the road, even if you do end up passing it here. Although passing it could put the person to your left into white. Who knows? Yeah. But moving on to pack one, pick eight. See the following cards as options. Best card in the pack is a winged words. There's also a soul salvage floating around, a blade brand, centaur courser, a bunch of junk. I think winged words is pretty clearly the best card in the pack. Yeah. Again, another really nice late pickup for you here. So you're almost mono blue with your route through the draft here with a Chandra. Yeah. I've got a, a couple more white cards in pacifism and ancestral blade. So moving on to this is going to be some huge signals here. Moving on to pack one, pick nine. There are a lot of good cards that should not still be in this pack. Pulsa Marasa wield as well as raise the alarm. Yeah. I mean, there's also like a gift of paradise here too. That's probably a little too late for that. Like, but raise the alarm here, sending off some alarm bells for me in that it may be whites open and this is what you should be doing. Right. And I snapped it up here, especially with the ancestral blade and the pacifism. And I'm thinking, okay, I'm probably white. And then pack one pick 10 came around. There's still another raise the alarm that wield. And I snapped that up and that was definitely okay. Whites open. Raise the alarm is the best white common in my mind. I'm going to be white this draft for you. You could have avoided white. That's interesting. I didn't see that route through this draft. There's still a heart piercer bow here. Pack one, pick 10. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. Like you, you avoid white. Maybe like I take the raise the alarm there and that's probably my first white card. Right. But though maybe because I don't actually have any white cards, I just take like pulse of Marasa because I'm mono blue up to that point. Right. I think if I were you with your route, so on pack one, pick nine, I think I'd take pulse over raise the alarm. Mm -hmm. And then pack one, pick 10, I think I'd take heart piercer bow over the second raise the alarm. Yeah. Second bow is awesome with the weaponsmith that I, I would have grabbed. That, that is interesting that there's two pretty different routes there. Yeah. So I did end up settling into blue, white and pretty heavy white, to be honest. Um, definitely heavier white than I am blue. I just have the three winged words, a cloudkin seer two sprites and a spectral sailor as my blue cards ended up with three pacifisms three steadfast sentries a couple raise the alarms uh, didn't really end up going super wide but just had great card quality every card in my deck is just rock solid and ended up 3-0ing this draft nice yeah i mean this, this deck doesn't look like anything special but it's got evasion i bet those sentries were kind of annoying like trading off on the ground and then adding counters to your flyers that couldn't have felt good for your opponent and so much card advantage with spectral sailor cloud Seer, and triple winged words yep absolutely all right so as i said we're gonna be talking about all things white in m20 this week earlier in the week as ben and i were sort of like texting and figuring out what to do for the episode this week and sort of mapping out our, our future weeks as we you know wind down the summer and, and lead into the the fall set coming out ben was like well maybe we could take a look at what white decks look like. Like, how do you win with white in this format? And I thought that was such a good idea. And then I looked through my draft logs and I was like, I don't really have a lot. And I don't really want to spend the week just like trying to figure out white on my own, like on stream or whatever. And so I was like, well, maybe I'll just go to the Discord and check out what like trophy decks look like. And we'll take it from that perspective and, and see what all the trophy decks in white were. And I was like, well, maybe there'll be like, you know, 20 or 30 decks that we'll take a look at. Then there were 99 trophy decks with white as one of the base two colors. Which is awesome and which is another testament to why the Discord is yet again the best place on the internet if you love limited. Yeah, I mean, I was blown away by it. So I just I can't imagine how many trophy decks there are, 
period over the past month or whatever. But so 99 that included white. And I'm going to lump in all of the like max win decks, basically. So the 5X decks from Arena, the 7X decks from Arena, and the 3Os from MTGO. We're just going to lump those all together for the purposes of exploring data this week. Uh, And it was basically an even split. There were 47 decks from Arena and 52 from MTGO. Um, I counted two color decks with up to one card of a third color on the splash. So like if you were blue-white and you had an Iron Root Warlord in your deck, I counted that as a blue-white deck. But anything beyond that, if you were splashing two or more cards, I moved that into a category of three or more colors. So we've got a breakdown here of the color pairs of these 99 trophy decks. Um, Unsurprisingly, blue-white in the lead by a significant margin at 37. So a a pretty big chunk. Over a third of the trophy decks were blue-white. In second place, we've got black-white with 24 trophy decks. And I think that's this is probably in the... This is actually... This order is shocking to me. I would not have expected... I would not have expected black-white to be the second. I think I would have honestly expected green-white to be the second in my head. Green-white, I would have expected second for sure. And black-white, I would have expected third or maybe even fourth. Uh, So this was really surprising to me. And I'm excited to then dive into like what it seems makes black white tick a little bit because I think you and I had early impressions of black white as being like this life gain uncommon based deck that we had faced and been impressed with where like soul mender was very good but Mm -hmm. spoiler alert soul mender showed up in I think one of the black white trophy decks wow so it's not not what that deck is trying to do it seems like um, so past black white at 24, we've got red white at 13. And then in fourth place, bringing up the rear, dragging it along, green white with only nine trophies. Yeah, that does, it is, that number is a little bit misleading in that if you look at the three or more color decks, there were 14 of those, and half of those were base white green, as you would expect. So that that could bump up green white to 16 total decks if you counted it that way. Okay. That makes sense. And then we had a couple mono white decks squeak in there. Yeah, yeah. Two mono white decks that uh, trophied in that list. So where I wanted to start and where my impressions were about white was like, well, maybe you only get into the deck when you open a busted rare, right? Does that seem fair to you in in terms of like maybe in, in theory crafting how you draft this deck would work? Yeah, that seems like a totally reasonable assumption. So I considered the following five cards as the best white rares in the set. And really, I feel like it's only four. I feel like the fifth one here is maybe pushing it a little bit. So we've got Ajani, Strength of the Pride, Cavalier of Dawn, Safara, Sky's Blade, Loxodon, Life Chanter. And I I added Planar Cleansing on this list, so I'm not sure how much that feels like a pull into white as much as the other four of these cards do. I agree. That seems like a significant tier below the other four, but still very good. Yeah. So even even stretching to having planar cleansing as one of these five, I looked at the 99 decks and I wanted to see how many of these decks included one or more of these cards. So would you take Master Splicer over planar cleansing. Ooh, I think I would pack one, pick one. Yeah, maybe. Well, we've got some Master Splicer stats for you down the road. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, that's a good point. And Master Splicer, that's another card that I feel like I misevaluated. I had like early on, I was like, this is a good card. And then as the set progressed i was like oh this card is kind of weak replaceable like you can deal with that token pretty easily but now looking at all these stats i feel like i'm back on the master splicer is great plan yeah so so anyway so looking at these uh trophy decks and being like okay which of these decks include one or more of these rares so looking at the color pair breakdown again blue white only 11 decks included one or more of these cards so 11 of the 37 total trophy decks included one of these busted rares 
black white there were eight copies of those rares red white only two though i will say a lot of the red white decks had a lot of really strong red rares like a dracoseth or a chandra floating around so they made up for it with the red power level a lot of the time but yeah only two of the red white decks and green white decks of the 99 only had five of those cards yeah mono white both decks had one or more of these cards and in three or more colors uh, five of the 14 had one of these cards. So, so it looks like about a third of the time you're playing with one or more of those busted rares, essentially. Yeah, which, kind, well, which kind of surprised me. You're not only playing with them in general, you're playing with them in a trophy deck. So I just was expecting to see these way more in white decks that were having success. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Um, Green-white was the only color pair where over half the decks contained one or more of the white bombs, but it was such a small sample size too, right? We're only looking at nine total decks here, or I mean, if you're counting the, the three or more color decks, then it's more, but yeah, this was, a, this was a surprising piece of data. So I was like, okay, so it's not the rares that are doing it, but I am noticing a trend of a, a lot of uncommons in decks. You know, as I, as I kept, you know, I would cycle through these 99 photos that I had taken, these screenshots I'd taken from the Discord over and over and over again. So I kept seeing a lot of cards. And two uncommons that kept coming up a lot were Master Splicer and Herald of the Sun. And so I was like, well, maybe these cards are very prevalent and exist a lot in, in these trophy decks. Um, so I wanted to see how many times these cards appeared. And it wasn't a lot. I mean, Master Splicer, 26 decks, and Herald of the Sun, 22 decks. So about a, a quarter of the time these decks, these these cards were showing up. Yeah, and then looking ahead, the next thing you were sifting through the data for was the gold uncommons. Mm -hmm. So in blue-white, Empyrean Eagle appeared 24 times. So that that's a lot, more than half the time yeah. Empyrean Eagle was in the blue-white decks. Mm -hmm. a, 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 few, a few of those, so a few of all of these are from the three or more color decks, but yeah, a predominant amount of the blue-white decks had Empyrean Eagle. So that's something to think about. And then uh, uh, less so for the rest. So Black White, uh, 10 times Corpse Knight showed up. Which is almost half again. And then Iron Root Warlord showed up nine times, which is quite a bit. Yeah. So a, a lot of the times that was, you know, a card worth splashing for in, you know, a three or more color deck. Um, but it showed up quite a bit in the green white decks as well. And Sky Knight Vanguard showed up a lot, seven times. And that's, you know, quite a bit. If you think back to there were only 13 red white decks. I think like once or twice, maybe it was splashed, but that's that's showing up, you know, uh, about half the time for each of these color pairs uh, and blue white for Imperial Eagle. It's showing up a, a lot more. And then we're going to take a look at the top commons in white. So of our 99 decks, Raise the Alarm, our number one white common, 47 of our 99 decks had at least one copy of Raise the Alarm. And of the decks that had this card, the average number of Raise the Alarms was 1.68. So once you had the first, your deck definitely wanted the second, which is normal for a card like Raise the Alarm that gets better in multiples, I think, because you're trying to go wide. And over half the white decks had some sort of Raise the Alarm plan-ish going on in them. Yeah. Uh, pacifism, 55 decks had at least one copy. It's, it's not surprising. I mean, if you are in white, you're going to want to grab this as a removal spell. And of the decks that ran this card, the average number was 1.49. So again, we're seeing like, you know, when, when you have the opportunity to get into white and when the decks are good, when they are trophying that you're having like basically multiple copies of these premier top tier commons in that color. And then moving down to our third best white common Griffin protector 
53 of those 99 decks had one copy of this and of the decks that ran that the average copy was 1.32 and makes sense that that's a little lower since this is a four drop you can't go ham on four drops Mm -hmm. and there's probably better ones at uncommon or rare that you want to include over griffin protector and much like as i was going through these decks like master splicer and herald of the sun stood out to me i just kept feeling like every deck had a dawning angel in it and so i wanted to take a look at that and It did show up more than the other commons that we saw. 58 decks had at least one copy of Dawning Angel. And of the decks that ran this card, the average number was 1.41. So again, like almost 1.5, like a lot of decks running two, sometimes three copies of Dawning Angel. I barely beat a deck in the draft I did this week on MTGO, a deck that had like three, four, five Dawning Angels. My opponent just kept curving into them. They are tough to beat when you're curving into them in multiples from your opponent and you don't have much flying defense. Like I didn't have any spiders or anything. It was tough, tough to race. It feels so bad when you're trying to do any kind of assertive game plan and your opponent casts a Dawning Angel. Yeah, definitely. I am pretty excited about this next stat, Ethan. Could you could you read this one off for us? I would love to, Ben. Uh, so I also wanted to check out Battalion Foot Soldier, my my little fave car, card, the catch them all in white. Only nine decks of the 99 had copies of this card. Wah, wah. And five of those nine were black white. So I think that may speak to one, what I think Black White is trying to do in this format. And two, that Battalion Foot Soldier may be a secret Black White Gold card or something, but also just that it's like clearly not important to successful white decks in M20. So the stats about Battalion Foot Soldier and sort of the things that I was seeing made me want to then look at all the decks from a specific color pair and check any trends that I saw about what these decks looked like, what cards were showing up often, what cards maybe weren't showing up often. Um, And as I said before, Black White was a color pair that I thought cared about life gain. And that didn't really seem to be the case. It seems like Black White is an archetype that much more cares about going wide and taking advantage of what I'm terming disposable creatures. So I think that leads to why Battalion Foot Soldier might be okay in this archetype, why Raise the Alarm I think shines here. You know, you've got Sanitarium Skeleton as a disposable creature. Maybe you've got Undead Servants doing their thing creating more disposable creatures, anything like that. You know, early on, I said we were impressed by Black White Life Gain, but only one of our 24 decks had a copy of Soul Mender, which was a card we thought indicated a good Black White Life Gain deck. And so that just doesn't seem to be anything that's important or anything really that this archetype is trying to do. That is the most shocking statistic to me out of all of this data is that we were so wrong about Black White because I have drafted Black White and I've had a couple copies of those life gain decks that have gone 2-1, but I didn't really know that it cared this much about going wide. I mean, that is the secondary thing, I think, for the color pair, but maybe it's going to be the primary thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, The decks almost all had copies of cards that cared about going wide or disposable creatures. So you're looking at Bone Splinters, Ancestral Blade, Battalion Foot Soldiers, Inspiring Captain, and Inspired Charge. You know, if I had more time, I think I would have wanted to see how often Inspired Charge and Inspiring Captain showed up in all of the white decks because it again felt those felt like effects that either you had one or the other or both in uh, your any white deck and it just felt like white takes advantage of that so well. Um, this next one was really the biggest surprise for me. You know, you and I poo-pooed this card, I think last week or the week before. Gruesome Scourger showed up in a lot of black-white decks that trophied. That's shocking to me because that card seems so bad on its face to me. It seems like this is obviously its best home and 
after looking at like how all these pieces fit together and the fact that I think this is an assertive deck, I mean, I think white just in general is an assertive color. And I think all the white color pairs lean some sort of assertive way. But, you know, if you get your opponent down to eight, seven, six, and then they stabilize, Gruesome Scourger is a pretty nice way to finish them off. That To me, that sentence that you just said right there encapsulates why white isn't good. Because white is an assertive color. But what, what's what's white's best card to attack with in this set? There isn't one. There isn't one. <laughs> right? But yeah. yet the color pair still wants to be aggressive. That's why it doesn't perform. Yeah. But it, but, but it can. Uh, and Marauder's Axe is the last card I have on this list of like cards that take advantage of going wide or having disposable creatures or, you know, again, a lot of these cards make Raise the Alarm better. And I think Raise the Alarm is a card that I it's hard for me to get behind because on its face, it's so weak to me. But it does lead to a lot of greater than the sum of its parts kind of decks with cards on this list and with other cards and other color pairs that take advantage of having multiple bodies for such a cheap cost right all of those cards make raise the alarm better make griffin protector better and the signpost uncommon for black white corpse knight yeah which you know showed up in 10 of the 24 decks not it's not a lot of times but it's pretty innocuous like it's just a two mana two two that's totally fine and then if it happens to come down early and drain your opponent down or sorry make them lose life for two points three points four points that's that's quite a bit of damage tacked onto a two two right moving on to our next color pair in blue white flying is the name of the game for blue white and that that was pretty obvious early and often and the data bore that out as well with griffins and angels floating around everywhere in blue white so fairy miscreants and winged words were very popular in these lists as well as spectral sailor and a lot of that might be skewed maybe towards the arena side of things like that sounds like an arena stat to me there even more so than an MTGO stat? You would think that, but Fairy Miscreants were showing up a lot in the MTGO trophies as well. Okay, so maybe people were getting there in pods where people weren't hating the Fairy Miscreants. Mm -hmm. Inspired Charges and Inspiring Captains were plentiful as well, and looking like they were able to punch through a lot of extra damage in the air. That has been a big strength in blue-white. Inspiring Captain has been a scary card out of my blue-white opponents, I will, will say that. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense, right? You're like putting a blocker on the ground it's like a four mana three three that comes into play and deals three damage four damage depending on how wide your flyers are at that point right and then can block on the ground or chump and just allow you to win the race in the air Mm -hmm. there were hardly any weaponsmith packages in blue white which is worth noting and that is a little shocking to me yeah i mean I, i think these decks are just so streamlined it felt like they just felt like lean mean flying fighting machines that it wasn't you just didn't want to put any vials or bows in your deck with weaponsmith it just didn't feel like these decks had room for it you know you've you've got your flyers you've got spots for some removal spells you've got spots for some card draw with winged words and that felt like it was about it in a lot of these decks one thing you don't have on here that i'm kind of curious about do you remember seeing any loyal pegasi floating around in any of these blue white decks yes loyal pegasus was a card that showed up not only in blue white decks more than i expected but just in decks in general you know red white was running uh, loyal pegasus as well um again i think this may have been part of arena undervaluing that card you know loyal pegasus was one of the cards before any of the bot updates that you could consistently wheel and so that showed up in arena but again much like fairy miscreant i was noticing loyal pegasus in mtgo trophies as well so i i'm glad you brought that up that was a card that popped up more than I expected it to. And the last thing we've got here about blue-white is that counterspells were a little more prevalent than either of us would have thought. One copy of Boned Ash was in about half of these decks, and maybe so, you know, get ahead, stay ahead might be something that blue-white is after, which makes sense if your flyer is trying to be a little bit of a tempo deck. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, uh, I just I was shocked by that. I, I like again that was a card that was popping up, and I was like, oh, I should see like I, actually if, if this is a thing, and it did seem to be one. So I don't know if that's just a sort of product of I'm in blue and Bone Dash is a common card, and so I you know it just makes my deck because it's playable sort of thing, or if that's a card that actively works towards that game plan in a way that uh, is maybe currently underrated at least by me looking at green white it really is go wide here i mean much like blue white is skies that's not surprising green white is go wide that's what we want to be doing all but one of these lists had at least one copy of either inspiring captain or inspired charge so like that card fits really well in this deck and a lot of these decks were taking advantage of that woodland champion and ferocious pup showed up in more than half of these lists as well and Looking at, you know, as we are looking at cards that we're like, I think these cards are clunky. Greenwood Sentinel, just the one and a green, two mana, two, two with Vigilance. This showed up a fair bit as well. Again, green-white was this, our smallest sample size of only nine decks. I'm also looking at the, the green-white decks that were multiple colors as well. But looking like this archetype may just care about having bodies and stats, no matter how poor they are, because Greenwood Sentinel is pretty bad. And then you just get to go over the top with Mass Pump Effect. Maybe you get to go wide enough where Might of the Masses just kills your opponent out of nowhere. Um, you get the inspired cards in white. But I was sort of surprised that just like this deck just looked like creatures and stats and then Mass Pump Effects. Poor Green White. It feels like well, that's what green white always is. Yeah. Moving on to our last white color pair, red white. We've got aggro. Move over Ryan Sachs. Red white's in town. <laughs> Cards like glaring Aegis, scorch spitter, and loyal Pegasus showing up in a lot of these lists, as well as other tricks like God's Willing, Infuriate, and Shock. Lots of cheap one mana plays, very efficient with the mana, trying to double spell early and often in the game was a big part of all these red-white decks. This is another archetype that takes advantage of disposable creatures and going wide with mass pump effects from white. So we're seeing this like recurring theme in all these white decks are being able to take advantage of the inspired cards, the captain and the charge. And Mask of Immolation in particular looked very strong here. Um, there's a lot of cards that push damage in red white so i wonder again if this is a deck that gets your opponent down to that like eight seven six five life total range and then is like uh oh how do i close out the game well there's quite a bit of ways for you to do that you've got goblin smuggler you've got mask of immolation you've got uncaged fury to win out of nowhere you've got glaring aegis to tap a creature and add a bit of power to the board chandra's spitfire also takes advantage of uh ways to like you know, get damage, push damage out of nowhere, that sort of thing. So a Scorch Spitter as well, maybe you get a couple final pings off of that. But these decks had a lot of ways to just push in that those last bits of damage. And that seemed like a, a theme throughout all of the red-white decks. So when you're when you're describing that, what pops into my head sort of is like the red-white Amonkhet decks with the cartouches and things like that, sort of that style of deck where you're playing cards that don't look individually powerful on their own and often individually look quite bad. But when they work together, you can just get your opponent's life total from 20 to zero. Yeah. So like, you know, uh, it's interesting because I feel like red white had the biggest range of what the decks looked like because some of them were going up to seven mana for Meteor Golem for Dracoseth, going to six mana for Chandra or Ripscale Predator. And then some of them just like stopped at four and had like a bunch of mass pumps. Some of them were running Gauntlets of Light, comboing those with like Griffin Sentinels or Daybreak Chaplains. Like there was a wide range of what these red white decks looked like, more so than 
say like, you know, the blue white decks all looked pretty much the same. They all seem to have the same pieces and all seem to have the same game plan. Whereas red white seem to have uh, a, a bit of variation among the trophy decks. Interesting. Yeah. And so now that we've talked about all these color pairs and all these deck picks, when we post this episode, we will try to get a folder uh, linked, a Google Drive folder linked in where you download the episode that, so that everyone could take a look at these 99 white trophy decks so that you too can see how to draft white. Yeah. I mean, I think it's really interesting. And I'm, I'm so happy that you had the idea for this episode and that we were deep in this format enough where there was this much data to collect from the Discord. But this is something I think we should be doing for future sets a lot, which is just really mining the Discord for trophy decks and what things look like when they're winning. Like, if we want to look at certain archetypes, I think we should just go through and be like, all right, wh- where does this archetype exist? What are other people doing to have success with this? Because, you know, this feels like the way to get as close to like a large enough sample size to be able to actually draw conclusions about things. Right. Yeah. Makes total sense to me. And so now that we have a clear picture of what white is trying to do, we want to take a look at another white round table here to see if we can put some of this into action. Yeah. So, uh, you know, continuing to just sort of mooch off the Discord's experience with the format, I sort of sent out a bat signal for any and all draft logs or deck picks of successful white decks that people had experience with. Uh, and Corda Calls, previous guest on the show, fantastic magic content producer, uh, showed up with this draft log. So I'm going to take you through this one, Ben. Would you like to take a seat? Absolutely. All right. Pack one, pick one. Pretty good pack here. There is a Sleep Paralysis, a Leafkin Druid, an Audacious Thief, an Agonizing Siphon. Then at Uncommon, we've got Risen Reef, and your rare is Mu Yanling Sky Dancer. That card is busted. Yeah. So I think there's a lot of really good cards. If Mu Yanling weren't in the pack, we would be taking Risen Reef, I think, over all of these commons because yes. that card is also busted. But pretty clear Mu Yanling as a single colored card that is an absolute bomb. And then past that, which of the commons would you take? So commons in consideration, we've got Leaf Kindred, Sleep Paralysis, Agonizing Siphon, and Audacious Thief. Yeah. I think I would be on Leaf Kindred here as the best of those four. My ranking would go Druid, Siphon, Thief, Paralysis. I am with you 100% on your ranking of this entire pack. Cord also grabbed Mu Yanling. Moving on to pack one, pick two. This pack is significantly weaker Best commons are Chandra's Ember Cat and Bone Splinters. There's a Tranquil Cove as well. That's the blue white tap land. And Uncommons, Scholar of the Ages. Haven't played with this card in a long time. Boom, baby. That card is tons of fun. Lines up with our Mu Yanling, and I think is a pretty clear pick out of this pack. Yeah, Cord agrees and grabs that one. Pack one, pick three. Moving on to pack one, pick three. Bumping up again to good commons. We've got Shock. Rabid Bite, Chandra's Outrage, Uncommons, there's only one left, it's Gauntlets of Light, and your rare still in the pack is Lotus Field, that's the land that enters the battlefield tapped, has Hexproof, you sack two other lands when it comes into play, and it taps to add three mana of any one color. Yeah, this is an interesting pick here. I think any of Shock, Rabid Bite, and Chandra's Outrage you could make a case for as starting your second color in a new color, and I think we are definitely starting a new color here. I think the red cards edge out Rabid Bite for me by a little bit like in a pack one, pick one scenario, which this kind of is in a certain sense. And I think, you know, you and I had Shock as the top red common pretty early on in the format. I think that might have flip-flopped now. And I think Chandra's Outrage might be the best red common and Shock coming into the number two slot. But I still think regardless of what order you have those in, you want one of each before you want 
two of the other. Yeah, agreed. Uh, so you'd be on Chandra's Outrage here? I think I would be on Chandra's Outrage now, yeah. Yeah, I, I think I'm still on Shock over Outrage, pack one, pick one. Um, but I agree with the, like, you want one of each over two of one. Um, Cord grabbed Shock here as well. So he's starting off with Mu Yan, Link, Scholar of the Ages, and Shock. Pack one, pick four, following cards as options. You've got an Octoprophet, a Griffin Protector, and at Uncommon, there's a Herald of the Sun. Yeah, fairly weak pack here. No blue or red cards that we're really interested in taking. Like, I think the gap between Herald of the Sun and Octoprophet is high enough that I'm interested in branching into white here and just seeing what's open. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to miss an Octoprophet in blue, despite the fact that we already have two blue cards. And I think Herald of the Sun is enough better than Griffin Protector that it is the pick here. Yeah. So Herald of the Sun is an, another one of these cards. I feel like there were a lot of white cards in the set that I just sort of like started off high on, Herald of the Sun being one of them. Then I think with figuring out how bad white was and also just seeing how like, I don't know, maybe a six mana 4-4 four, four flyer isn't as absurd or whatever. Like this card just like went really down for me. And now after looking at all of these trophy decks again, I'm like, no, this is a good card. And this is probably a reason to be in white. And when you see it pack one, pick four, you know, there's an uncommon missing from the pack and two commons missing. And there's still a Griffin protector in the pack at common. Like I think this could be a white signal and it's just the best card in the pack period. Whereas maybe before I would have been like, well... I really don't want to be white. I've got Mu Yanling and Scholar. I just want to hold on to blue for dear life and take Octoprofit here. And I think that's incorrect. And Herald of the Sun is something worth picking up here. Yep. Cord agrees and picked that up. Pack one, pick five. You've got a Swiftwater Cliffs, the blue red tapped land. There's a hard piercer bow. I just, I'm now going to always take a look at these and, and they're going to be on my radar. There's a first fairy miscreant as well, a Chandra's ember cat. And then an uncommon, there's a rapacious dragon, a master splicer and a fry. If you wanted to pick up a sideboard card. Yeah. The fact that there are no uncommons missing out of this pack. So the rare is gone. That means three people took commons over master splicer. That is mm -hmm. pretty tough for me to believe that there were three commons in this pack that are better than master splicer. So maybe people are going a little too hard on the don't draft white. Mm -hmm. And I think we're going to be able to reap the rewards, hopefully. So I think Master Splicer is just a slam dunk pick out of this pack. So Master Splicer is the best white uncommon, right? I think that's true. Yeah. So then I'm going to put you on the spot here a little bit and, you know, you can feel free to, to talk it out. But where do you have it in line with the top commons in the set? Like you're taking Cloud Conceer over it, right? Yep. You're taking Murder over it. Uh, that's a lot closer, but I think so. So then maybe that's it, just those two, and then you're probably not taking Leafkin Druid or Rabbit Bite. No, I would take I would take Master Splicer over those cards, pack one, pick one. Yeah, I think that sounds right. Yeah, Master Splicer is quite good. So there is a rare and three commons missing out of the pack. So it does seem like it's unlikely, you know, if if it was Cloud Conceer and Murder even, that uh that quote unquote better cards were taken over it. So Cord grabs that here. So just to recap, we've got the Moo Yanling, Scholar of the Ages, a shock, and now we're we're feeling like a little bit of a white signal here, right? Two of the best white uncommons in Herald of the Sun and Master Splicer, fifth. Uh, so then pack one. Oh. So still could definitely go in any direction at this point. Not feeling super committed to anything. We definitely want to play the blue the most, but open to whatever. Yeah. Pack one, pick six. There's another blue-red tap land, Swiftwater Cliffs. The only white card in the pack, well, I guess there's two. There's Yoke Docks, but then there's Squad Captain uh, that you could take, I guess. Um, 
Best red card here is Goblin Smuggler, and there are no blue cards. No blue cards is tough. I think Goblin Smuggler is the best card in the pack. We do have the Shock, and then we could still be any combination of the Jeskai colors. So I think I would land on Goblin Smuggler here and just continue to feel out the draft. Pack one, pick seven. Holy white cards, Batman. There's Raise the Alarm, Daybreak Chaplain, Dawning Angel, God's Willing, uh, and there's also a reduced ashes still in the pack. And not that I'm excited about that card, but pick seven, that's about where I'd, I'd be okay taking it. Right. I think reduced ashes is a fine pickup. The first copy, I think, is good in your red decks. I and mean, mm-hmm. you don't need to pick it highly, but you'll, you're happily playing the first copy of that in your red decks. Our white cards are better than the Shock and Goblin Smuggler that we have so far. So I think I'm landing on what I think is the best white card in the pack here. And I think that's Raise the Alarm. Yeah, Cord uh, did as well. And so it feels like this is... This feels like white is kind of smacking him a little bit in the face here. You know, you got the the uncommons later than you would expect, or at least where you could start to see them as a pretty strong signal. And now this pack, you know, it's pick seven, and there's not only the quality of white cards that we're seeing in God's Willing, Dawning Angel, and Raise the Alarm, but the quantity of them, that beyond those, there's a Daybreak Chaplain and a Glaring Aegis, a card that, again, I'm not looking to take here, but we did see that it showed up in at least red-white decks that trophied. Um, so both quality and quantity here, pick seven, should, I think, make you go, all right, I should be looking to get into white. I feel like at this point, that's where I'm like, all right, I'm going to be actively trying to draft white in this seat, I think. Right, I agree. So pack one, pick eight, just a little bit before the wheel. Um, still pretty quality card. I mean, the best card in this pack is Blood-Soaked Altar at Uncommon. Um, a couple white cards here in Moreland, Inquisitor, and Inspired Charge. And then the rest of the pack is just Clunk City. Yeah, super Clunk City. I think after taking the Erase the Alarm, also with the Master Splicer, I think I would want to lock up my first copy of Inspired Charge here. I agree. So Moreland Inquisitor, I think, is pretty filler, replaceable. It's not great. Looking at these trophy decks and seeing how important Inspired Charge and Inspiring Captain are, and also how you don't care about having redundancy in them that like redundancy in them is actually even good. Like you'll play two, three, sometimes people are doing four of like two, two splits or whatever. But as those decks sort of solidify and you realize you're working towards this plan, as you said, you've already got to raise the alarm and a master splicer, which both take advantage of it. I like grabbing the inspired charge here. Looks like Cord was going for some curve considerations here and grabbed Moreland Inquisitor. And now on the wheel, this is again a pick that I don't think I would have made prior to seeing these trophy decks so on the wheel uh you know we didn't really have any white cards in the first pack to speak of the only one here is angelic gift um there's an anvil rot raptor and heart piercer bow colorless cards anticipate is a blue card but gruesome scourger that card that showed up in a lot of those trophy decks is coming around here on the wheel yeah i think that's reasonable to pick up especially after we saw that that was a key player in some of the black white decks and i think i would take a flyer on it here yeah. And and again, like you said, we've already got Master Splicer and we've already got Raise the Alarm and those work well with Scourger as well. So grab that. And I think with as excited as I was to talk about that card here, you can probably guess that that's where Cord ended up. His deck was just rock solid. But the one thing that I will say is that its removal isn't great. You know, he's got two copies of Aerial Assault as his ways to interact. And he actually didn't end up with any of the mass pump effects. But he does have double Herald of the Sun, double Master Splicer, double Griffin Protector. He's got that Raise the Alarm. And then in black, double Bloodthirsty Aerialist, Knight of the Ebon Legion, the one drop rare that's you know showing up in all those Orzhov Vampire Standard decks, and the Gruesome Scourger, which I would imagine did quite a bit of work here. But like this is just looks like 
black white good stuff you know it doesn't look like it doesn't have like a super heavy life gain theme it doesn't have a super heavy go wide theme just got a lot of rock solid creatures. Right. And white was open enough, you know, a lot of discipline from Alex in this draft. So started off with the Mu Yanling into Scholar and moved off of that. I think correctly so. Those were his first two picks as blue cards and then didn't see another blue card that he wanted to pick all of pack one. And then also flirted with red early on in pack one with the shock and the goblin smuggler ended up abandoning those. How he ended up getting into black, which we didn't really really say in the draft so we we picked up that late gruesome scourger and then in pack two pick one opened up a very weak pack that had a bloodthirsty aerialist into it snapped that up and then got hooked up with some more white and then saw another bloodthirsty aerialist pack two pick four and then that i think ended up cementing him into black because still was looking for a second color new white was open and didn't feel like either blue or red that he had dipped his toe into really were open enough that he wanted to commit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and that speaks to why he's so deep in white here. And, you know, the black cards he has are quality, but there's not a lot of them. Right, which is also just good, good drafting technique, right? Yeah, for sure. Which is why Alex is great. Yeah. And I think we're going to take a look at one more draft log here. And this is going to be what to do maybe when you start out with a busted white rare. (laughs) Spoiler alert. So... Ethan, are you ready to take a seat at this roundtable? Yes, sir. This is also coming to you from Alex, aka Quarter Calls. Pack one, pick one. You see the following cards as options. No commons in consideration. There's a Mask of Immolation, a Chandra Novice Pyromancer, and an Ancestral Blade at Uncommon. So of those three, I think you'd be expecting to pick Chandra Novice Pyromancer as the best Uncommon in the set. And then at rare, blowing them all out of the water, a Johnny Strength of the Pride, two white white for the five loyalty planeswalker that plus one, you gain life equal to the number of creatures you control, plus the number of planeswalkers you control, minus two, create a two two white cat soldier creature token named a Johnny's Pride Mate with whenever you gain life, put a plus one plus one counter on a Johnny's Pride Mate, and a zero, if you have at least 15 life more than your starting life total, exile a Johnny Strength of the Pride and each artifact and creature your opponents control. Pog Champ. Yeah. Slam that here. Maybe you get to prioritize some life gain down the road. But I don't think I've actually gotten to pack one, pick one of Johnny yet. So I'd be excited to do that. Yeah. At the court agrees and slammed it. I was slam that as well. Moving on to pack one, pick two. You see the following cards as options. At common, there's a Chandra's Outrage. And at uncommon, there's Blood for Bones and Master Splicer. Rare is missing from the pack. And I think, you know, well, I'll let you... You see what you think here. Well, I, yeah, I think I might be saying what you were about to say, which is that I think Blood for Bones is a better card in a vacuum than Master Splicer. Um, and I'd rather be black than white, obviously. But, you know, a Johnny is a card that makes me want to take Master Splicer here. So I, I wrote a little, do a little self-promotion here. I wrote an article this week for Cards here that I'm, I'm particularly proud of. I talked about like the two ways of staying open in draft. You know, you and I talk about this on the show a bit, but I felt like an article form was a way to dive deep into it. And I think there's these two ways you think about things. One is the Ben S drafting the hard way where like you essentially think about each pack in a vacuum of like, what are the most powerful cards on their own if this pack were pack one, pick one. So, you know, when we look at this pack one, pick two, it's like, well, Blood for Bones, I think, is the best card here in a vacuum. But you have to like sort of toe the line and make these sort of concessions or see how how gradation differences get bumped up or bumped down based on, well, what does taking Blade Master Splicer here allow me to do? Well, it allows me to play my busted rare and it allows me to spend less time committing 
to a second color. So I have more time down the line to figure out what that second color that's going to be open is. So I think there's a lot of value in taking Master Splicer here. And the delta between these two cards is not so high that like you're taking such a huge power level hit by taking Master Splicer over Blood for Bones because you're not. Can I get an amen? Amen. Moving on to pack one, pick three. You see the following cards as options. There's a Frost Links an audacious thief, and an agonizing siphon. And that's really it here. Two uncommons missing, still a fry in the pack, and ley line of combustion at rare, but you're not pretty interested in either of those cards. Yeah, I mean, if you want to stick to white, you can take squad captain or like a marauder's axe to stay colorless, but I don't think you want to do that. Um, So again, for me, the best card in a vacuum here is agonizing siphon. And I like that that has synergy with a Johnny and that it cares about life gain. So that would be my pick here. Ooh, yeah, I like that. I think I'd be on Agonizing Siphon as well. Alex disagreed and landed on Frostlinks. I will say there is something to be said, though Black White seemed to be fairly successful as well. But let's say Agonizing Siphon were like a green card. There could be something to be like, well, just green-white decks don't trophy that much and blue-white decks do. That like maybe if you're like, well, I'm trying to pair something with white, it should be blue and I'll take Frostlinks. Yeah, that makes total sense. Moving on to pack one, pick four, you see the following cards as options. Pretty weak pack here. There's a Metropolis Sprite as the best blue card. Best red card is Kelden Raider. Best black card is probably Noxious Grasp as a sideboard card. And yikes, no white cards in the pack. You could take Temple of Triumph. That's the red, white Scryland. You could. That seems a little aggro to me. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, a Johnny and Master Splicer is a really good white start, and but I might want to stick to it um if i had taken agonizing siphon i think i'd be on noxious grasp here to just grab a powerful sideboard card if i end up in black just because the rest of this pack is kind of weak and i don't feel like taking metropolis bright or like Kelden raider to dip into a third color just yet so i think that's i think i'd land on noxious grasp had i taken siphon Yes, I agree. If you if you take Siphon, you land on Noxious Grasp here. I think with Frost Links in your pile from Alex, I think Metropolis Sprite makes a ton of sense. Moving on to pack one, pick five, another weak pack here. Best blue card is probably Sage's Row Denizen. Best red card, Chandra's Ember Cat. Best black card, Epicure of Blood. Best white card is Devout Decree, which I think, you know, there's been some talk about, do you main deck Devout Decree? And I think it's it's close to main deckable, but probably not quite there for me. So why is Devout Decree the one people are talking about main deckable? Or are you just talking about all of these sideboard cards? No, this one specifically because it's so powerful mm-hmm. with the exile effect, right? That the two that interact with creatures and then black and red are pretty prevalent colors. Mm-hmm. But I think you can make a case for Devout Decree, but probably ultimately it still ends up in your sideboard. Yeah, but still a very powerful card and lets you keep the Ajani Master Splicer dream alive. Yep. Uh, So I agree that is the pick there, and Alex agrees as well. Moving on to pack one, pick six, another weak pack. There's a Gorging Vulture as the best black card. There's Bishop of Wings at rare as the best white card. That's white, white for the one four. Whenever an angel enters the battlefield under your control, you gain four life. And whenever an angel you control dies, you make a one, one white spirit creature token with flying. And there's not really much else in the pack of interest at all. This is pretty close for me, given my route through the draft between Bishop of Wings and Gorging Vulture, because Gorging Vulture, I think, is just good in black decks in general. And if we're in black-white, we're going to have life gain stuff. Like, we already have a Johnny that cares about gaining life, so Gorging Vulture just sort of adds to the mix. But I don't know if I... I think I'd rather commit to white than black at this point, given a Johnny and Master Splicer. So I think that would 
tip the scales for me to Bishop of Wings. And Bishop of Wings, it's also early enough in the draft that like I could maybe prioritize Dawning Angels a little higher if I wanted to, um, which synergizes with this, which synergizes with a Johnny. So like there's a lot of stuff. And then then that this gains four life because of the angel. And then you're also synergizing with a Johnny, blah, blah, blah. So maybe maybe I think Bishop of Wings would be the pick here for me. Yeah, I agree on Bishop of Wings and Alex did as well. So the pack rounds out, uh, Pack one, pick seven, picking up a God's Willing. Pack one, pick eight, picking up an Aerial Assault. And then not much going on on the wheel other than a Goblin Smuggler and a Goblin Bird Grabber. So maybe some slight slight red signals there. Mm-hmm. But this was a tough pack, I think, because the packs were so weak. The packs dried up pretty hard after pack one, pick three. And so that when the packs get weak like that, it makes it tough to read signals. So I think Alex did the right thing here in had a very good rare, had a very good uncommon, and was able to pick up playable cards and even cards that are going to synergize pretty heavily with a Johnny like Bishop and aerial assault both have life gain synergy with a Johnny. So a lot going on down the route through the draft that you can build around there. Yeah. His deck ended up blue white uh, and not a lot of white cards, actually. I mean, the master splicer, the Johnny double pacifism, double aerial assault and a God's willing. And the rest were blue cards. He's running double renowned weaponsmith, but not for the heart piercer bow package, though he does have one vial of dragon fire. He's just playing it as a soul ring to like power out some top end stolen golem, golos, and meteor golem, and a retributive wand in the deck that he can use the weaponsmith to cast and activate. Spicy. Then I'm going to just very briefly talk about standard for a second, but I was casting the Phantom Legends event on Thursday and Matt Nass submitted the spiciest mono blue artifact deck in standard. They use his car and the great creator to just tutor up a bunch of artifacts out of the sideboard and what we- renowned weaponsmith is effectively soul ring in that deck. It's pretty wild. Ooh, nice. I did see that on Twitter, actually. Sweet. All right. Since we've managed to slum it in the world of standard, I think this is a good place to wrap up the episode. <laughs> thank you, as always, to Salty Pretzels for our intro and outro music. Make sure you give that a listen. And thank you so much to everyone in the Discord for what you do, posting all the stuff, for allowing us to have the amount of information we were able to mine for this episode. Hope it was really helpful. It certainly was helpful for me in my understanding of what White is trying to do in M20. Um, if you want to check us out on Twitch and Twitter... I'm living that full-time life, twitch.tv slash Lord Tupperware. Hopefully, Ben's going to get back on a more consistent schedule soon, twitch.tv slash Mr. Metronome for him. We're both under those same usernames on Twitter, and you can tweet at the podcast at Lords of Limited. If you've got any feedback about the show or any questions, shoot us an email at lordsoflimited at gmail.com. If you want to check out that Cardsphere article, you can go to Cardsphere's blog. The article title is How to Stay Open in Draft. Not really one of my most flashiest titles, but gets the job done. I think it's a good read if you're trying to figure out how to navigate those early parts of a draft. Thank you so much for listening, and we will catch you next week for another episode of Lords of Limited. Thanks, everybody. See you later.
And then at rare, blowing them all out of the water, a Johnny Strength of the Pride, two white white for the five loyalty planeswalker that's so far away. (laughs) (laughs) Plus one, you gain life, huh? I said you don't have to read it. Well, but it's going to inform our draft. So I, and I have no idea what it does. So I feel like I should read it for the listeners. 